Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. This past week I was sitting in a worship service at a conference with a bunch of pastors. That's a challenge all in itself, just sitting around a bunch of pastors, but we were there. Nobody ever invites a bunch of pastors to the party, but, but that was our party and we were there. And a colleague of mine, a pastor friend of mine, was, he was sitting next to me and there was, there was one empty chair in between us and, and he was sitting in the next chair and we'd been in the worship service for a while. And have you ever, have you ever had that feeling that somebody is watching you, like somebody is staring at you? Well, I had this feeling. And, and so I just, I just glanced over at him and I looked at him and he's looking at me and, and I just gave him the look. I mean, the, the preacher's preaching and, and he, he gave me, he looked at me, I looked at him and I looked at him like, what? You know, and he said, man, you look like your dad. And the only thing I could say was, thank you. That was it. That's all I could say. And the timing of this exchange was absolutely perfect because I was a little down this week. This conference, we call it camp meeting, um, that I was at down in the Tampa area. Um, it was something that I grew up going to. This was my 43rd straight year going to it. I've never missed it. Uh, since I was the, the summer I was born, I've been attending it. My dad was a pastor, and, and so I've been attending this, this camp meeting for all these years. And it's something that I grew up going to with my dad. And after I went into ministry. It's something that we attended together. And some of these morning sessions like I was in, I used to sit with my dad. And so I'm sitting there missing dad. And, and then many of my, my dad's colleagues that are still able to get around, they would come up to me and they would, they would ask me, how's your dad? And, and other young ministers that my dad had touched in, in, in his ministry, they would come to me and they would say, how is your dad doing? And I would, I would tell them about my dad's condition and where he's at. And so at the moment that this man looked at me and said, man, you look like your dad, there was this sense of appreciation that came upon me. Because I realized that I've had a great example for a father. My father is loving and kind, even with Alzheimer's, he is still a very loving and kind person. My dad is faithful. My dad is a man of conviction, always has been, and I know this, he always will be. My dad is a man of conviction. As long as I've been alive, my dad was always a great example of what a godly man should look like. And I know that I have been blessed to have a godly father. Some of you in the room, you have not had that example in your life. Your father did not live a godly life. And there were things that your father did or things that your father said that were less than honorable. And for some of you, your father's life was downright embarrassing to you and to your family. But, but what concerns me more than your father's actions is that some of you may not be the example that your family needs you to be. Now, men, I just need you to man up this morning, okay? Because I'm about to step all over your toes. I'm warning you right now, okay? I even put a post out there on social media last night putting out the warning in case you wanted to go do something else, in case you wanted to go fishing or something, okay? You wouldn't be the first one that went fishing when they were running from God, right? Peter did it. Okay, so, so it happens. 
And understand that I don't want to come across as condemning this morning. That's not what this is about. Condemnation doesn't come from the throne room of heaven. Conviction comes from heaven. And so today, I want to show you that there may be some serious consequences to your actions and to your lifestyle. And so if you will, I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, to the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, don't worry, I'm not preaching on all of the commandments today. Somebody say amen for that. Not quite that loud, but amen. Amen. Exodus chapter 20. I want to read the first six verses. Exodus 20 verses 1 through 6. And the Bible reads, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. In verse 5, it says that God visits the iniquity, the sin, the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. God gave some bone-chilling news in these commandments. It, it sounded like what he was saying was that children would have to pay for the sins of their fathers. And if that's the case, then some of us, we've got a lot to be worried about this morning, right? Listen, I, I understand that I had a, a, a great dad growing up. I was raised in a pastor's home. My, my, my whole life, my dad was a godly man. But I also know that my dad had a past before he gave his heart to Christ. And there are some things that happened in his life before he became a Christian that I certainly don't want to be responsible for and I don't want to have to pay for but but the words that were given to Moses there at Mount Sinai it sounds like children would have to pay for the sins of their fathers and so when Moses came down off of the mountain and saw the people there worshiping a golden calf they had made an image they didn't broke one of the first commandments there they made an image worshiping that golden calf Moses takes the stones that God had just given him given him the commandments on and he throws them on the ground and shatters those stones let me ask you something, men. Have you ever received some tough news and after that tough news, you destroyed anything and everything that got into your path? Just me? I'm just me? I'm just going to preach to myself today, okay? I'll get saved by the end of this, maybe. So let me show you what I'm talking about. You didn't get the promotion, so you took it out on your wife, didn't you? You remember, your car won't start, so you throw the wrench at your son's head. You hit your finger with the hammer. I mean, it hurts so bad, so you kicked your dog all the way across the backyard just because you lost your cool, right? This was the case with Moses. God had just given Moses some tough news. 
I mean, this was some tough stuff. He laid down the law. That's what it is. It's, it's literally the law of God. And, and he lays down the law, gives him some tough stuff that he's got to process. And he comes down off the mountain. And the people that he is leading, they are acting a fool down off this mountain. They are worshiping a golden calf. And so he takes the stones that God gave him and he throws them to the ground as if to say, look what you made me do. So God told Moses, I'll give you the commandments again. But this time, you got to provide your own paper. You see, the first time he just kind of handed them over to him. He said, This time, you got to cut out your own rock, okay? Your own stones. You got to get your own tablets. And so we go over to Exodus chapter 34, verses 4 through 7, and it says, So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. As he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Listen to what he says. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. This is tough. This is very troubling. Just in case there were any doubts and you didn't understand what he said before, God confirms this time with the second giving of the commandments that the sins of the parents are punished to the third and fourth generation. Understand what this appears to be saying, okay? Uh, Let's just kind of break it down with some of the Ten Commandments here. If your dad stole from your neighbor, you're responsible to pay it back. That is your punishment. If your dad worked on the Sabbath and he didn't keep God's day holy, you paid for it. If your dad mistreated your grandparents, it's as if it was your fault. You paid for it. If your dad lied, you paid for it. If your dad committed adultery, you paid for it. But what's interesting is that this theory is contradicted in future verses. Listen to what Deuteronomy 24 and 16 says. Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children. All the fathers in the room say amen for that. Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. All the children in the room say amen to that. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. Okay. Now it's starting to sound a little better, right? I mean, when you read this, it's like, okay, okay, I'm on board with you now, God. And then it's reinforced in the book of Ezekiel. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20. It says, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. You're not going to be responsible for anybody else's sin, just yours. And that's bad enough, right? 
It's important for us to realize that the former verses, they, they cited legal ramifications. Okay, what, what I read to you first, it, it was all about the law, the law of God. That if a father commits a crime against God's law, his descendants are responsible for him. But the latter verses tell us that God would draw the line if the punishment was death. That future generations would not have to die for the sins of their father. With possibly a couple of lawyers in the room, I'm going to take a stab at this. And if I'm wrong, you can correct me after service. But, but let, let me just kind of tell you what this is similar to. It's what most states would call civil parental liability laws. These laws state that parents are responsible for all malicious or willful property damage performed by their children. And obviously there has to be a line. So the line is drawn in most criminal liability suits, including murder. Our modern day laws have the roles reversed, that, that parents are responsible for their children's actions, not children for their parents' actions. So Old Testament law held children responsible for the sins of their parents against God's law, but they could not be put to death because of that. And so by the time we get over to Brother, Brother Jeremiah's writings, you, you, you get a sense of a new covenant that's starting to brew. We're not quite there to the New Testament where the, where the new covenant it, it comes into play, where, where now there's grace and there's mercy through Jesus Christ, but, 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 but you can hear it. it, it it's, it's there. It's, it's brewing. You can smell it. It's starting to happen, happen. So in Jeremiah 31, 29 and 30, it says, the people will no longer quote this proverb. The parents have eaten sour grapes, but their children's mouths pucker at the taste. All people will die for their own sins. Those who eat the sour grapes will be the ones whose mouths will pucker. Jeremiah said that at one time the actions of the parents left a bad taste in the mouths of, of their children. That when your parents did something wrong to society or if they did something wrong against God's law, that, that it would leave a bad taste in your mouth. But now that was no longer the case. The prophet reinforced again what Ezekiel had already said, that everyone is responsible for their own sins, that their sour fruit now causes their own mouths to pucker. Now this is good news, and on paper this looks right. But let's be honest. That's easier said than done. It's a whole lot easier just to think that, that when a family member makes a mistake, that it no longer affects you. And men, some of the most selfish things we do in our lives is when we act and we think to ourselves, oh, this won't affect anybody else. Men, everything you do in your life affects someone else. We still get a bad taste in our mouth when a family member lives life in a dishonorable way, when it brings embarrassment to the family, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And so today, even though I don't believe that, that you will have to stand before God for the sins of anyone else, just your own sins, today I want to suggest that the sins of the father still strongly affect the family. And if it doesn't affect anybody else in this room, I want you to know this is for me today, that the sins of Rocky McKinley still strongly affect Mandy, Caleb, and Kendall. The father has the ability to lead or mislead his family. 
Although it is abundantly clear that each individual person will have to pay for their own sins, the Father, He has the ability to help prevent many of those sins that His children and grandchildren would fall into had He just led His family in obedience to the law of God in the first place. But church, listen to me. What's troubling to me is that fathers not only have the ability to prevent a sinful life in their children, but they also can encourage a sinful life in their children with their own lifestyle. This is about to slap some of you right upside the face, okay? I've warned you. You've had every chance to leave, and you just set your butt right there in that folding chair, and so here I come. You ready? What are your kids seeing you do? What is the example? And, and trust me, I could preach this to women also, but today is Father's Day, so, so men, I'm coming at you. What do your kids see you do? And what do you want your children to be like? Because there has never been a good father that hoped that his child would just end up broke one day. But yet... We are setting examples and we are stressing ourselves out financially and that is what they're going to follow. There has never been a good father that longed for the day that his grown child would neglect his or her family. There has never been a good father that dreamed of his child one day becoming an alcoholic or a drug addict. There has never been a good father that wanted his child to spend eternity away from God. But what if your actions as a father helps lead your child to an eternity away from God. It's sobering, isn't it? it? Troubles me that we plant certain seeds in our kids' lives and we expect to get a different harvest. Understand the law of sowing and reaping. You will always reap what you sow. Always. It doesn't matter what it is. It's not just about money. You will always reap what you sow. When my dad first retired from ministry, he was an, an avid gardener. Dad, dad put a, he went outside and tilled up the ground and, and, and made himself a pretty good sized garden there. And he took it seriously. My dad designed this, this overhead irrigation system. He ran PVC pipe up over his garden and connected it to a water spigot. And, and he'd go out there and turn it on. And it would, he drilled little holes in that PVC pipe. And it would rain down on his garden. He, he had tarps that he rolled up on the sides of the frame. And when a, when a cold was coming, when the freeze was coming, my dad would go out there and unroll those tarps. And he would protect his garden. He, he was taking it very serious. And one year, my dad went down to the hardware store. And he bought some eggplant seeds and he planted them. And as the eggplant seeds began to grow, dad thought those looked different. So he called mom outside and he said, look at this. And he said, they don't look like eggplants. And mom said, you know, you're right. He said, I know the package said eggplant seeds on them. And he said, I, I don't understand what's happening. And so they continued to grow. He kept watering them, continued to, 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 to take care of them and, 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 and soon they realized they were growing sunflowers. Big, beautiful sunflowers. It was not eggplants at all. They were beautiful to look at, but not much to eat, okay? Everybody plants seeds, and you are planting seeds into the lives of your children. And so what kinds of seeds are you planting? Because whatever seed you plant into their lives will be the fruit that is harvested from their lives. Dads, listen to me. 
Everything that they see you do is a seed that is being planted into their lives. And it will bring forth a harvest. It may be a bad harvest. It may be a good harvest. But it's going to bring forth a harvest. I understand that I'm speaking to men today. So women, forgive me. You got this already. We're, we're a little slow sometimes. So let me break this down a little bit more, okay? Men, a spiritual chihuahua can't produce a great dame, right? Okay, you're starting to get it now, right? A spiritual buzzard will never produce an eagle. Okay, okay. A goat. Bad, right? A goat will never produce sheep. And men, if you want a spiritual thoroughbred, stop acting like an ass. Really? Really? I, I borderline cuss, and that's what gets you to clap? Anything short of a miracle, your kids will become just like you. Anything short of a miracle, they're going to become you. And I know that God is able because there are grown adults in this room right now that in spite of your family, you turned out godly. So I know that God is able to do that. But dad, listen to me. Don't wait. Don't hope. Don't pray that they turn out better than you. Dad, you be the miracle right now. Don't wait on God to do something in their life. Let God do something in your life so that you can naturally raise up spiritual giants. Let God transform you first. I didn't want to take a chance with my kids. I wanted my kids to, to love Jesus more than I did before I did. So Mandy and I raised them in a godly way. We didn't waver. It wasn't always easy. Certainly wasn't always fun. But I'll tell you, it's worth it. So let's do this. I'm, I'm running out of time and, and I've, I've taught this next part years and years and years ago. But God said, there's people in the room that they need to hear this. And so I'm about to give you some spiritual truth. I, I don't always talk like this, but I'm about to prophetically preach to some of you right now. And I want you to hear it because we're about to break some generational sin right now. There are habits, addictions, and traits that are passed down from one generation to the next and they do not glorify God. And so if they don't glorify God, who do they glorify? Satan, the enemy of your soul. And if he, can, if he can, can't get you, he wants your children. And so you've got to be careful that if it's not glorifying God, you've got to realize who it is glorifying. And so today, I want to make Satan nervous. Throughout the scriptures, numbers play a very significant role. Ten represents testing. Anywhere you see the number ten, there's test. There's ten commandments. God's testing your faith to see if you love him, if you will trust him. A tithe, ten percent. God's testing you to see if you put your trust in him with your finances. The number seven, it represents completion. 
On the seventh day, God rested. Six represents humanity. It's always going to be short of God. Three represents godly perfection. The Godhead Trinity is made up of three. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus rose from the grave on the third day. And then he was described in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 4 as the one who was, the one who, or the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. So three represents godly perfection. Now guess how many generations it takes to make Satan nervous. Just guess. Three. I'll show this to you. Satan is scared that in every family there is a possibility of three generations of righteous seed. And it's the reason why the Bible reiterates over and over and over again that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Three generations that feared God. Listen to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 6. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. You go down to verse 15. says, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. The very next verse, he reiterates it. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me. In Exodus chapter 6 and verse 8, I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Leviticus 26 and 42. Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. And I will remember the land. Deuteronomy 9 and 5. The Lord your God will drive these nations out ahead of you only because of their wickedness. And to fulfill the oath he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 1 Kings 18 and 36. At the usual time for all Offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed. Listen to how he prayed. Oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel. And he called down fire from heaven and it consumed everything that was on the altar. It consumed the rocks that made up the altar and it consumed even the water that was in the ditches surrounding the altar. You go to 2 Kings 13 and 23. But the Lord was gracious and merciful to the, to the people of Israel and they were not totally destroyed. He pitied them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I, I, I hear some of the names sayers right now. Well, that's Old Testament, Pastor. But you get over to the New Testament and Jesus mentions this trio also. Matthew 8 and 11. He says, and I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 22 and 31. Jesus says, but now, as to whether there will be a resurrection of the dead, haven't you ever read about this in scripture? Listen to what he says concerning a resurrection of the dead. Long after Abraham Isaac and Jacob had died God said I am the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob even after they died he said I am still their God yes there will be a resurrection of the dead you see Satan fears three consecutive generations of righteousness in every family if that happens Satan has lost his foothold his foothold in that family he has lost his grip on that 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 family and and he cannot he cannot conquer them anymore Paul writes in his second letter to Timothy in chapter 1 and verse 5 he says I have been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois 
and your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. Three generations, Lois, Eunice, and Timothy. Why does this surprise us? Ecclesiastes 4 and 12 tells us the one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, but a cord of three strands is not easily broken. When you have three righteous generations, you will break that alcoholism that's been running through your, your, your family for decades, for years. When you have three righteous generations, you will break the strongholds, the things that have been pulling that family down. There's families in this room that continue to struggle because someone was abused as a child a century ago. And it has been passed down from generation to generation because when we're hurt, we want to hurt others. And when you have three righteous generations, it will break that stronghold in that family. Understanding that everything that I do, it affects the next generation that's coming after me. And, and dads, listen to me. You will either pass on iniquity or you will pass on equity to the next generation. Iniquity or equity. Will your children and their children inherit sin or will they inherit righteousness from your life? And so dads, I just want to ask you one more time. Listen to me. What sin are you committing right now that may influence your family for two to three generations or more? In closing, I want to tell you this. Your children need three dads in their lives. Three dads. The first dad that they need is their public dad. They need a dad that is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Men, there's some of you in this room that I, if I asked you to walk through the mall holding this Bible right here, you would try and tuck it underneath your shirt. You'd hide it in a bag, shopping bag, to get through the mall. Oh, it's so much more than just that. But your children, they need a dad that is not ashamed of the gospel. They need a dad that displays God's love, God's grace, and God's mercy in his everyday life with everybody that he comes into contact with. They need a dad that publicly says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Even if it doesn't make me popular, we are going to serve the Lord. When people see dad, they need to see a godly man. But your kids, they also need a personal dad. It's okay for you to be a, a public man of faith, but your kids need you to be a personal man of faith. They need a dad that will encourage them personally to grow in God and to develop a hunger for his word. While my daughter was at college this past year, I, along with her mom, we would send her encouragement texts to encourage her to let her know that 
we were praying for her. We'd send her scriptures from time to time. And, and during finals week, right before her last test, I timed it perfect. I knew what time she was going in to take that test. And so I sent her a text and I sent her a text telling her, I'm praying for you right now. And it wasn't just lip service. I'm telling you, or thumb service, I guess I would say. I, it was more than that. I, I, I really went to God in prayer and I said, God, I need you to give her wisdom right now. I need you to help her recall the things that she knows. And Lord, I need you to help her pass this test just yesterday my son sent me a text I was traveling back from Tampa and my son is working the UF basketball camps right now and what what you need to know is, is that my son longs to be a student manager for the men's basketball team he knew his height wouldn't let, allow him to play division one basketball and so he wants to be a student manager for the team in the past two summers he's worked camps the head of basketball operations, they, he and Caleb, they text back, each other back and forth. And so Caleb was asked by the head of basketball operations yesterday, after they finished registration and doing some other things, he texted him and said, hey, I need you to go heat up the chicken wings for all the workers. I can tell you that is not what my son wanted to be doing. He didn't want to go heat up chicken wings. So he sends me a text. And he says, Dad, I got to go heat up the chicken wings. LOL. That's laugh out loud for some of you. He had a great attitude about it. And I sent him a text that said, Luke 16 and 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. By the end of the day, my son was running drills with one of Florida's top recruits, a freshman coming in this year. One of the assistant coaches grabbed Caleb and said, I need you to run drills with him. I need you to help him warm up. That's what he longs to be doing. So your children, they need a public dad. They need a personal dad. And they need a private dad. private dad it's not necessarily how much contact you have with your kids it'll lead to that but this is what you do when your kids aren't watching this is what you do when your spouse isn't watching this is what you do when nobody is watching dads listen to me Jeremiah 17 7 and 8 says blessed is the man who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. And he does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. Men, in order for your children to be fruitful for the kingdom of God. You've got to establish the roots in your own life. And so dads, let me ask you, how's your private relationship with God? Because your public performance will always crumble if your private disciplines are lacking. You can put on the facade and act like you're the greatest Christian on this planet, but it will crumble if your private disciplines are not focused on God. 
A year ago, I found myself at a place to where my private disciplines, not all of them, were focused on God. And I was neglecting prayer in my own life. I found myself praying only when it was time to deliver a message to this church. And it's not a big deal to some of you, but God did something to me. When I had to drop my baby girl off at college, and she was seven hours from home, God said, are you gonna pray for your children every day? God, you know I pray for my children every day. No, no. Are you gonna pray for your children every day? Well, God, sometimes I get busy and I forget. And through his still small voice, God told me, he said, put a reminder in your phone every morning at 7 a.m. And no matter where I'm at, if I'm, on, if, if I'm carrying my phone, if I'm on my iPad, if I'm on my computer, there is always a reminder at 7 a.m pray for my family. I've prayed more this past year than I've ever prayed in my entire life. I pray every day for my wife and my twins. I pray for them individually and I pray these words, God, I want you to protect them. I want you to protect them mentally. I want you to protect them physically. And God, I want you to protect them spiritually. And I call their name out and pray for each, each one of them, all three of them, praying that same thing for every one of them every day for the past year. It's private discipline. And your family may never see it, but they'll reap the benefits of it, men. I want some honest men right now with me. I'm always telling you my shortcomings. But if you're not there, and you know that God is challenging you right now to grow deeper roots so that the fruit from your children will be Christ-like, if that's you, I'm not forcing any men right now to do this. You only, only participate if you know God is speaking to you. You might be exactly where God wants you. I don't know that. But if you're like me and you feel God's word challenging you, man, I want you to stand right now. Men, look at me. We want the next generation, our children. We want them to love God more than we do before we do. When I first got into ministry, God revealed something to me. I've shared it before, and let me just share this first part, and I'll tell you what, what I believe God's speaking to us right now. And it was very humbling, very sobering for me. But God helped me to realize that I was going to spend my entire career preparing the bride for another man. You're not mine. You're the bride of Christ. 
this isn't my church. This is his church. And he, he revealed to me early on, you will spend your entire career preparing the bride for another man. Men, here's, here's your job. This is what God's calling you to do. This is what he's calling me to do. You are to prepare your children for another father. To fall in love with him even more than they love you. That's got to be our heart's cry. To prepare our children for another father. So if you believe that, and you're ready to accept that challenge, I want you to raise your hands to heaven and let me pray for you. Father, God, I thank you for these honest hearts right here, these men, Lord. God, they're just being challenged today by your word. And I'm asking you, God, to give them that strength. God, I believe that right now you are giving them the courage, the strength, the knowledge. God, for some of them, they may have to go back and make some wrongs right just to have a voice in their children's lives. God, give them the courage to do that. God, do not, do not let us plant seeds of sin in our children's lives. Let us be convicted from this moment on, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.